0: Hey folks, it's another Monday show today, but Iran 6 is written and on its way to being recorded and cut, which means that a week from today, the history shows are back on track, with the final one or maybe two Iran episodes hot on 6's heels. In the meantime, we've got this short show, and as of this weekend, the Patreon-exclusive news show, which looks at trade agreements, Trump's bumbling attempts to revisit NAFTA, and the prospects for American working people, given the obvious signals sent by Big Don's tax plan that he loves the rich and hates literally everybody else. Check out the Patreon, guys. It's doing better than I ever expected, and it's a big part of what's making SFD so good and regular these days. One last thing is that, hey, I can see the number of people that listen week to week, and I've got web tools to tell me when people get linked to the site or the show, and what that means is that I know that you haven't been sharing it recently. SFD's gotta grow to stay alive, guys, and if you aren't doing it, Nobody's doing it. Hit those streets, pound that pavement, rate the show, spread the word. Do me that favor. All right, I'm John Coombs. We're talking about fixing Mexico, and this is Safe for Democracy. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. Not be able to lose yourself and skip, I have saved this one opportunity to speak briefly to you about the mindless menace of violence in America, which again stains our land. And I sometimes wonder why we Americans enjoy punishing ourselves so much with our own criticism. This is a pretty good land. I'm not saying you never had it so good, but that is a fact, isn't it? In Iraq, a dictator is building and hiding weapons, and we will not allow it. This is a different kind of war. There are no marching armies or solemn declarations. Its goal to defeat American power. No one... No matter where he lives, or what he does, can be certain who next will suffer from some senseless act of bloodshed. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. There's a time when the operation of the machine becomes so odious, makes you so sick at heart that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus, and you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it, to the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. My girlfriend and I spend a lot of time talking about Mexican politics. It's a different and often a more apathetic kind of conversation than we usually have in the U.S., because down here it seems as though there are so few places to turn. So few, if any, institutions and politicians that haven't been corrupted or compromised. To be fair, it's not always that way. This past week, those talks have been more hopeful, perversely, because of the earthquake that struck south of Mexico City. Historically, for whatever reason, nothing brings out the good in the Mexican people like a big old rumbler. My girlfriend's sister is a cardiovascular surgeon down there, and while she can't operate because her OR is temporarily on a slant, she's been doing brigade duty for weeks, moving rubble, Conducting triage and distributing relief. It's a good thing to see. And besides joining the masses of Mexicans and companies sending money where it needs to go, my girlfriend Sam and I are all signed up for the forthcoming demonstration in Mexico City, the march, more or less, to abolish these goddamn tectonic plates once and for all. When Sam and I have these talks about the Mexican political situation, I'm always throwing out suggestions. Some of them, like that march, are admittedly wacky. Some of them are more serious, and usually aimed halfway at the United States, since that's the politics that I know best. One of those is that Peña Nieto, the current president down here, ought to be setting up a program to welcome any dreamers who get deported, or who are just fed up with the U.S. Don't speak Spanish? We'll train you and set you up in English-language jobs with foreign firms in the meantime. No family ties? You're not even Mexican? Housing assistance? How about an advanced degree on the side? Mexico would get, for free, the cream of the undocumented American crop. And on this side, it would score an optics coup against Donald Trump, even if nobody showed up, which would help to bolster Peña Nieto and his party's dismal popularity going into the 2018 elections. Some of the ideas that I have, like the one that I'm going to pitch you today, are both serious and nuts. Mexico has a lot of problems. The economy's not doing so hot, the job market is poor, The South is lagging way behind the more industrialized North. Corruption is endemic. Education is, especially outside the cities, not particularly successful. Poverty in the South and rural areas is often crushing. And the politics, because of that corruption, is totally broken, with the average Mexican having long ago lost all of her faith in elected leaders and the institutions that they run. But most of those issues are really children of the er issue, which is drugs. Now, if you know something about Mexican history, you know that the one-party system set up after the revolution and under the control of the Partido Revolucionario Institucional, or the PRI, was already becoming massively corrupt and ineffective without any help from the cartels as early as the 1960s. But that situation was on its way towards improvement coming into the 1990s. It wasn't going perfectly, and under the leadership of Carlos Salinas, it was happening a little too neoliberalistically, for my taste. But by the dawn of this century... Mexico was becoming the industrial and economic powerhouse of Latin America. The longtime opposition, the Partido de Acción Nacional, finally took over the presidency in 2000, making this republic a much realer, multi-party democracy. And while the cartels were already operating at that time, there was a kind of unspoken agreement whereby the government and the narco-traffickers left each other more or less alone. Now, an unofficial detente between organized crime and the government isn't exactly the situation you want. But other than comparatively minor levels of corruption, look the other way over here, pretend not to see us over there, the freely operating cartels were much more of a problem from the perspective of the White House for the U.S. than they were for Mexico. And so we got involved. George W. Bush, good buddies with the then-Mexican president Vicente Fox, the guy who was elected in 2000, convinced his Mexican counterpart that the time was right for the Mexican government, with the help of the U.S. in the form of military assistance and liaisons from the DEA, the FBI, and various branches of our armed forces, to make war on the cartels and to bring the great successes of the drug war, like totally destroying the country of Colombia, and in the process failing to stop the flow of drugs at all here to Mexico. The predictable result was that in the space of just over a decade and a half, Mexico went from being the darling of Spanish America, making slow but sure progress on social and economic justice, to something precariously close to a failed state, one with large areas in its north and center, having become very nearly literal war zones, with the conflict now having left over 200,000 Mexicans dead. Not only that, but the newly violent cartels and the government actions against them have exacerbated every underlying problem in Mexico. Whereas beforehand the cartels were operating more or less quietly, Now they had to fight, which means that they were buying governments, corrupting entire state police forces, pushing cash into all the major parties, and in some areas they have become the de facto government. There have been a million other knock-on effects, but that corruption is at the root of almost all of them. Government became totally ineffective, which meant that education, economic development, all of it, went down the drain. Moreover, government and military pressure helped to fragment the cartels, So where beforehand a small number of groups operated in different territories through what were kinds of gentlemen's agreements, now a constantly proliferating number of smaller groups fight not just with the federal government, but with each other. Whole regions have gone under in these internecine conflicts, like the state of Michoacán, whose Tierra Caliente is the battleground for the Nueva Familia and the Templars. That same violence, combined with corruption, makes foreign firms and investors understandably wary about getting into the country. So while the vestiges of the manufacturing boom that accompanied the arrival of industrial American firms in the 1990s continue to provide some of the highest quality working class jobs in the country, foreign investment has now slowed to a trickle. Mexico is effed up, guys, and it's surreal. People in one half of Michoacán are just fine, while over the ridge, villages are arming and organizing their own defense militias. Large parts of my state, Jalisco, are narco-controlled, but where I live in Guadalajara, it's a modern city that wouldn't look out of place in Spain or Argentina. Part of the reason that the cartels are buying up land near here isn't to plant drugs, but avocado trees. And the Mexican lime crop, which we know is key limes in the U.S., is already mostly controlled by drug traffickers. It's crazy, and it's absolutely the problem that, if you don't solve it first, you're not going to get anywhere with any other one. So I have an idea for the next Mexican president. Put the drug problem back where it belongs. With the people that buy them. With the United States. The fact of the matter is that where drugs are bought, they will be sold. This is a basic, unassailable tenet of economics. That where demand exists, supply will arise to meet it. The whole sad, sordid history of the drug war has been premised on choking off supply, and that just does not work. There are about 200 other countries in the world, and we've got to make sure that nobody in any one of them is growing weed or coca or poppies, something that we can't manage even here at home with some of the most effective policing and security forces in the world. Trying to export that duty ruined two pretty stable countries in Latin America, and trying to implement it worldwide? It's delusional, and it always has been. The only way people are ever going to stop selling us illegal drugs is if we stop purchasing them. Whether that's by partial legalization like we're doing now with marijuana, or whether it's through total legalization and the creation of nationwide, well-funded, effective treatment programs like they've had massive success with in Portugal. No matter how many Mexico's we destroy, it's our thing to work through. So I want the next Mexican president to say enough that this republic and these people will no longer shoulder the burden of war and corruption and oppression to save the feelings of Jeff Sessions and Republicans in Congress who have a hard time coming to terms with the fact that Americans love drugs. So how? Well, it's a big problem. But when things are really dark, you've often got to do stuff that feels wrong in order to do right. We're never getting out of Afghanistan without first negotiating with the Taliban, and that's why we're talking with them right now. The Syrian civil war, sick as it makes us, isn't going to end unless we negotiate with Assad. I suggest that the Mexican president, newly in office, hopefully with some kind of mandate, needs to go to the largest, most stable cartel around, whether that's Sinaloa or another one, and he needs to do it all publicly, all above board. He needs to tell the leaders of this outfit that he's going to legitimize them. All the money they've made, that's legal now, and they can put it in the bank. They can keep operating, because moving drugs through Mexico is legal now too, as long as it's this picked cartel that's doing it. They get to keep their men and their infrastructure as long as they go on payroll. Their armed guys, those are now the allies of the Mexican police. The corruption, the political payoffs, those have to stop. And in return, the cartel becomes its own political party, with all the myriad benefits and federal monies that come with it. They can't buy the other party's politicians anymore, but now they have their own. What do they get that would sweeten all of this enough to make it worthwhile? The Mexican government will work with this cartel to give it control of all of the drug trade in the country. Mexican security forces, together with the cartel, will make sure that there is exactly one organized narco business in Mexico, one which gets all of the cash from all of the trade. The Mexican government will even set up trains from the south and depots in the north and do everything it can to make sure that they can keep moving their product to the United States. That's pretty much step one. It is, I get it, a bold step. But Mexico is on the verge of not being a country anymore, and it's the U.S.'s fault. And to turn things around, you've got to make moves. Now, obviously, even having just one cartel moving drugs and growing some, like they do now, a little bit, in the country is not ideal either. But here, one of the most unfortunate turns in the narco situation in Mexico actually works to our new president's advantage. Because back in the 1990s, the vast, overwhelming majority of the cartel's revenue came from drugs, and in particular from marijuana. And had we legalized marijuana in the U.S. right then, instead of trying to crack down on kids smoking weed, We could have fixed the cartel problem in Mexico. Fixed it. Today, it's much harder because the revenue that they get from drugs is much lower, closer to 50%, because the cartels have diversified. Limes, avocados, and a million other products and racketeering operations mean that even if the U.S. legalized all drugs tomorrow, Mexico would still have a massive organized crime infection. In this new plan, we turn that to the good. We legitimize all those businesses. And that sucks. All the farmers they've harassed and killed, all the people they've abused and disenfranchised, it feels bad. But we've got to make moves, and within the plan, we do whatever we can for those people. But the big play is that we slowly, especially in the best scenario, where the U.S. wakes up and starts legalizing or otherwise cutting demand, we slowly move the cartel leadership out of drugs and into business. And I know that sounds totally crazy, but one of the biggest, richest businessmen in Mexico today is Carlos Slim was an ex-narco-trafficking king. And it would be an ugly process, and I don't imagine that it would go over well on the world stage. It might torch NAFTA, at least here in Mexico, but what would happen ever so slowly as you brought the violence down and you brought your picked cartel above board is that things would begin to normalize. Corruption would wane and then plummet as this cartel no longer needed to bribe cops and politicians. Revenues might actually increase, or at least be bolstered as they fell because of the new taxes and all of the people who are now involved in crime integrating back into the legal economy. Once things were calming and regularizing again, you could begin to restore faith in Mexican politics, begin to clean up the legislature and the bureaucracy, begin to finally return to the march towards first world educational and social and economic conditions that Mexico was on until so recently. And as bonkers as all this is, it seems plausible to me. And not even all that implausible to Mexicans, given that while they're more aware than I am about how Mexico actually works, they're also more aware of how bad it's gotten here. The big hang-up, and the only one that I really see as both likely and disastrous, is that the U.S. probably wouldn't take it lying down. Republican congressman today are already proposing that the U.S. literally declare war on Mexico so that we can bring the full might of the U.S. military to bear against a problem that literally cannot be solved militarily. Even if that doesn't sound like the worst idea to you on its face, just remember that Mexico is huge, two-thirds the size of the lower 48 states and six times the size of Vietnam. So I imagine if a Mexican president did start transshipping drugs directly to the U.S. border and helping cartels to put them over, the U.S. government might do something drastic. But I love this country, man, as much as I love my own. And I am tired, dead tired, of seeing the one destroyed by the other's casual apathy towards its drug problem. I'm John Coombs, and with the bold, borderline insane help of the next Mexican commander-in-chief, we could make Mexico safe for democracy. que estoy dormido y que me traigan a mí, México lindo y querido, si muero lejos de...